So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but... This idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible was all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and... They kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about 
as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. I love this description of heaven, of kingdom, of what it looks like to be a follower of of Jesus. In fact, if you're kind of new to studying scripture or new to the Bible or even new to to church, we're, we're thrilled you're here, and what a great introduction for you today to hear kind of the big story of what God is doing. He created this perfect space called Garden Humanity and Sin, kind of got in the mix and created chaos. He sent his son to come to the earth where he began to redeem and restore um, humanity and the life that we're living so that we could experience the fullness of heaven here and now, and yet there will be a day coming in the future where God remakes and renews and restores this earth the way he intended from the very beginning. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, and you and I are invited to participate in the story. And this is why we all gather at church week in and week out to be a part of his story, to come together, to celebrate, to hear, to be encouraged so that we can go out into our world creating little pockets of heaven where people can experience who the real Jesus is. If you're just kind of joining us here at Faith Church, we're in a collection of sermons here in this new year called Practice Prayer, where we're exploring some of the spiritual practices this year And the first one we're looking at is the spiritual practice of prayer and the importance of it, how do we do it, the different ways in which we're doing it. And and, uh, man, if if you're just tuning in, maybe online, somebody shared the link and you're watching or you're in the room, we're we're thrilled to have you. If we haven't met, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's it's a joy to open up scriptures and to spend a little bit of time with you today. I want to talk to you this morning uh, at main text out of Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. This is, this is what scripture says. It says this, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Last week, Carrie, uh, our Next Steps pastor, did a brilliant job explaining and, and kind of expounding on this idea of worship as it correlates to prayer and the role that the two seemingly have. I love some of the the worship music that is out. It is a very much a prayerful lyric in many of the songs that uh, I've heard recently. I think it's there's something about worship and adoration that are very much a part of prayer. We talked about it last week. So Jesus said, pray this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you repeat those two sentences with me? Let's say it all together at home. You can join us too. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mark 1 verse 15 says this. Jesus is talking. Then the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that the kingdom of God is not far off, but now it is making its entrance back into our world. Jesus came to live and dwell and tabernacle among us and to represent who God is, the Father in heaven and his will and what it looks like to be carried out on this earth. I love this section of the Lord's Prayer. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done. I, I love it because it is an invitation by Jesus for you and I as followers of him to participate in a, in a, in a stream or in an avenue or a lane, a type of prayer known as intercession. Now, intercession is definitely a church word. Right? There's no way around. In fact, I don't know that I've really ever heard the word intercession outside of the context of, of church. Now, part of that is because I was a church kid, right? Like I grew up in church. In fact, I grew up in a pretty uh, Pentecostal environment. And so intercession was like definitely a topic that you heard a lot about. And if I'm being completely transparent, it scared me. The way they talked about intercession was like this like really intense thing, like I never met anyone who was like, my, my job at the church, my role is I'm an intercessor. And they never were chill people. They always were like really high strung and like saw weird things and said weird things and never could pray quiet. Like I didn't really understand it. And of course, I'm having a little bit of tongue-in-cheek characterization of this moment, a caricature, if you will. The reality is intercession is not only incredibly biblical, but it is an invitation Jesus himself gives us here and now. And I want to help us understand what intercession is and what intercession is not. Because if we're going to see the kingdom of God in full view on display in our earth, just like it is in heaven, it's going to require your partnership and my partnership in the process known as prayer. Uh, Dictionary.com defines intercession or to intercede like this, to act or interpose on behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble as by pleading and petition. It's to mediate between two parties whom you care equally for. To mediate on Two parties' behalf who you deeply love and value equally. It is a prayer to God on behalf of someone else. In other words, it is you and I are invited to stand in between the God of heaven and the world around us and having a relationship with God and the world around us perhaps not having a relationship with God. We get to stand in the middle, or here's another biblical phrase, we get to stand in the gap between the two, inviting and giving entrance and, and, and making petition to God of heaven to come and interact and intervene in the ways and the world in which we find ourselves living. First Timothy 2 and verse 1, Paul writes, and he says, I urge you, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. To pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Paul says, first of all, I, I urge you to pray for all people, to intercede on their behalf. It is an invitation from God to come and, and to create an intercession, to stand between two parties and say, to represent this party to this party, and to represent this people to this person. It's, it's this in-between, this intercession of our lives. Inter intercession is incredibly scriptural. You see examples of it in Esther's life, in Joseph's life, in Moses, in Abraham, and guys like Daniel, and Ezekiel, and David, and this other guy named Jesus. And you see a person, you see the early church interceding. In fact, when the early church was interceding for Peter who was in prison, the way God chose to intervene was absolutely miraculous. See, because when you begin to intercede, your kingdom come, your will be done, God, in this situation, in this person, in this scenario, in this place, when you begin to pray that way, God begins to intervene in often miraculous ways. Uh, just this last week, um, my brother-in-law, whose sister-in-law, so not immediate family by means in, in any way, she is uh, pregnant with their second child, and they've had a crazy time, very, very difficult, very, very painful time, even in their first child, having lost 
um, a late-term miscarriage and, and, and finally having the joy of having one child and, and now their second child is on their way. It's actually the third because they adopted in the middle of all of this and their third child is on the way and she's about 26 weeks pregnant and contractions have increased. And uh, she actually was at the hospital this past week early on and was, was, was uh, experiencing contractions in a very, very intense, immediate, like very uh, repetitive way. And labor felt like it was ensuing, and it was a very, very dangerous scenario, the doctors were saying. And her husband sends out a text, guys, pray, contractions are happening. All we're asking is that the contractions would stop, and we can go back home to rest. And so text messages started to fly around, hit my brother-in-law's family and our family, and we all began to pray and intercede for this person in this situation. And, and, and within minutes, we got a text back, keep the prayers coming, all the contractions have stopped so far. And within a matter of minutes, they didn't resume either, and eventually she was able to go home. And we're praising God for it, because God intervened and interrupted what seemed like a natural occurrence because people prayed, because people interceded. Jackie Robinson, love baseball, and I love the story of Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was the first black player to play in the major leagues, and um, while um, breaking uh, baseball's color barrier, he faced many jeers and insults and adverse situations from the crowds and the places where he would play. One particular day, he was playing at their home stadium in Brooklyn, and at second base, he had just made an error. And their fans, the Brooklyn fans, began to turn on Jackie and began to boo and sneer and hurl insults at him, and it was unrelenting. Jackie Robinson stands there, hanging his head, feeling defeated, defeated, and deflated, and Shortstop Pee Wee Robinson walks over to Jackie. The little southern boy Pee Wee was. Hangs his arm around Jackie. We don't really know the exact conversation, but that act where, where Pee Wee Robinson came and stood next to Jackie, or, or excuse me, where Pee Wee Reese stood next to Jackie Robinson, the crowd began to grow silent and no longer turned on him. Pee Wee Reese leveraged his influence to intercede on behalf of Jackie Robinson. This is what intercession is, friends. This is what we find. Pete Gregg, the author uh, and kind of the initiator, the developer of the Lectio 365 app, he started a prayer movement in the UK many, many years ago known as the 24-7 prayer movement. He says this about prayer. He says, the hinge of human history is when Christians bend their knee in prayer. The hinge of all of human history occurs when Christians bend and bow their knee in prayer. Jesus said to intercede, and his invitation for us to intercede on behalf of others and the world and situations starts like this, your kingdom come. I love this part of the prayer, your kingdom come. See, because it reminds us that we serve a king who has a kingdom that is not of this kingdom, this earthly kingdom. We serve a God who is supreme, who is almighty, who is ultimately the king and ruler of the universe. And when we pray, God, your kingdom come, we are reminding us that God is ultimate, that God is king, and that there is another kingdom that supersedes this kingdom. Deuteronomy 10 and 17 says it like this, for the Lord your God is a God of gods. He is Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. This is our God. This is the kingdom in which we have been born into. 1 Timothy 1 and 17 says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Romans 14 and verse 17 says it like this, For the kingdom of God, it's not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness 
and peace and joy through the Holy Spirit. In other words, the kingdom of God isn't something tangible and it's not set up to create your external joy and pleasure. It's not about just seeking in your own selfishness. In other words, the kingdom of God is not fashioned after your preferences. The kingdom of God stands beyond your preferences. It stands beyond your perception. It stands beyond your good deeds and good works or bad deeds and bad works. It's not a matter of just living in a selfish way and calling it the Christian way. It's a matter of understanding that it's true righteousness. It's true peace. It's true joy in the Holy Spirit. It's other than the world that you see, but yet it is still very much near you. It's still very much a part of you. It's, it's very much a, a, an understanding that God wants you to be a representative of the kingdom here. The kingdom impacts you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can always see, touch, taste, or smell it in this moment in time. It is an other kingdom. God is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. To put it in American vernacular, he is the president of all presidents. Chris Wright, an author and Old Testament scholar, says this. There is still a curious expectation flying in the face of all that the Old Testament teaches about the tendency of all political power to go rogue and produce a downward spiral of combined idolatry and injustice that having a Christian as president or prime minister will somehow purge and rectify the whole systemic fullness of all political structures whose ideals have been corroded by centuries of self-interest, tribal allegiance, and privileges. What I am questioning is not Christian involvement in politics, but the idea that Christians should seek supremacy in all the political arena in the belief that such legislative, judicial, or coercive power would enable them to advance the gospel or build the kingdom of God by political means. Especially if, in order to gain such power, we sacrifice our integrity to whatever false gods happen to dominate the political arena of the day. Prayer is a political act, for it appeals to the authority that is higher than the states, whether emperor or king or president or prime minister or parliament or Supreme Court. When you pray the opening words of the Lord's Prayer, you are effectively saying to all those human authorities, there is someone above all of you. That is an act of political perspective. It pulls all human authority and puts it in its proper relative position, subject to the governing authority of God in heaven. Friends, when we pray your kingdom come, we are reminding ourselves, even as American citizens, that God's kingdom can come and will come no matter who dominates what branch of our government. And we cannot allow ourselves to fall idle in our worship or give up to our own idolatry and our own nationalism to think in some degree that that is the answer to all of our problems. Because the kingdom of God, it's, it's what really needs to come. It's what really needs to happen. And when we pray your kingdom come, we are not praying, God, I want my version of your kingdom to come. We humbly pray, God, we want your version of your kingdom to come. And that is the invitation that Jesus is asking us to pray. He's asking us to come and to pray that we would see his kingdom come. Luke 17, 21 says it like this, nor will people say, here it is, there it is. This is what God's kingdom looks like. It looks like this and it has to look like this. No, because the kingdom of God, it's already in your midst. 
Friends, when we pray your kingdom come, we have an opportunity in this moment to repent as Jesus said to repent. In Mark 1, when he said the kingdom of heaven has come, it's here, it's now, among you, it is near. Repent and believe the good news. What is Jesus asking of us? What is he saying to us? That the very call to Christian repentance is to call to, our, uh, to repent of our infidelity of our allegiance to the king of all kings. It's the moment where we get to do as Matthew 6 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all the other things will be added later. It's an invitation for us to stand in a place and say, God, I want your kingdom to come. God, would you show me in this moment where my heart is surrendered to something other than you? When we pray your kingdom come, it is an opportunity, friends, for us to bow our knee and repent, to search our heart and say, God, is there anything I am seeking more than you? Is there anything in my life that is of a higher supreme priority than of you? It is a reckoning of our hearts, a realigning of our priorities. It is a moment where we can ask, Lord, have I bowed my knee to anything other than you. See, the Lord's Prayer, we said from the very beginning, it's not just a prayer that we pray. It is a pattern that teaches us more thoroughly how we ought to pray. And so when we say, Lord, your kingdom come, it's a moment for us to repent of, our, of any infidelity that we would have, great or small, seen or unseen, to the king whom we serve, to the king and kingdom whom we pledge our full faith, fidelity, and allegiance to. See, our intercession is an invitation that God is awaiting. It seems that in throughout Scripture, God waits to act for his people to invite him to move. It seems that God often will wait until his people pray, Lord, would you move here? Would you, would you intervene here? Would you, would you interact? Would you interrupt the situation, this pattern of, of living? Would you come and move? Ezekiel 22 and verse 30 says it like this. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the lands so I wouldn't have to destroy it. But I didn't find anyone. I was looking. I didn't want this to happen. I wanted it to interrupt. I wanted it to change. I, there was something that I longed to see. I just, I was waiting for the people who, who, who follow me to give me permission to move to invite me through their petitions and their prayers for me to interrupt and intervene, but there was none. Luke 9 verse 2 says it like this, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healings. It was an invitation. This prayer, God, your kingdom come. When we recognize that we are praying God's kingdom come, God is waiting for us to move out from the safety of our lives, from the sanitary confines that we might find ourselves, and move into a space where people are hurting, where people have yet to experience the full love of God, where people have yet to know the forgiveness of God, and to move into that space and to announce, hey, guess what? It's not just me that has arrived, but God's presence and his kingdom wants to arrive in this place too. It's in your decision to intercede for someone else, for a different situation other than what you're walking through, what you're going through. It's your decision to pray for someone else that allows the, the heavens, the, the beauty of what God intended to ex be experienced in their life. This is the beauty of physical healing, friends. See, healing health was something that God intended from the very beginning. In the garden, there was no sickness. 
You read at the end of the story when God recreates the heavens and the earth and his kingdom comes to permanently abide on earth, there is no more sickness. There is no more disease. Why? Because the presence of God, the kingdom of heaven is closer and close. It's what Jesus came to announce all over. That's what he sent his disciples out to announce all over that where there is something that is not lining up with what heaven looks like, we get to come and through our prayers, pray, God, would your heaven begin to be seen on earth in this situation that doesn't look like heaven but looks more like hell. Intercession is this work, this holy work of through our prayers, exposing and dismissing pockets of hell so that heaven could be seen there instead this is what intercession looks like jesus told his followers i'm giving you the keys to the kingdom i want you to take dominion whatever you bind on earth will be bound and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed he said in your prayers, in the very beginning of the garden when he, when he created Adam and Eve and he, and he wanted them to cultivate and partner and take dominion over the earth to, to be a part of cultivating the beauty of God in the environment in which they found themselves. It was this invitation to, to have some authority and to make some decisions and to do some things on behalf of God. Paul writes to the early church and says, don't you know that you are Christ's ambassadors? Everywhere you go, you get to represent the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, the Messiah. And the authority that we have is a delegated authority, which keeps us from walking in great pride. It's actually God's authority on loan to you, the steward. And he tells us what he wants us to do with that authority, that, that, that creative ability, that thing that he's given to us is he wants us to intercede and pray for situations and people outside of the scope of us that God's kingdom would come and be seen in that space and time and in those people and in those places. It's a call to intercede. Your kingdom come. The prayer doesn't stop there, though. It goes on, Lord, Lord your kingdom come. Lord, would your will please be done on earth like it is in heaven? In heaven, in the space where God dwells, that overlaps our world. God is waiting to invade and interrupt and intersect our world. What happens in heaven is indeed a replication or a a, a realization, a, an understanding of what God's will is. It's, a, it's an understanding of what God's will is. God has a will. God has desires and dreams and hopes. Sovereignly in that way, he has, has, has demonstrated many things. And, and when I talk about God's will, I want you to think about the big picture, the ultimate picture of God's will. The big picture of what God is after. See, God was after a family. God was after a family. So created a man and a woman that could create more family. He said, be fruitful and multiply. It's what God was after. And in this creation point, there, there is this understanding that this was God's desire. And in, 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 in the book of James, who is the brother of Jesus... He's writing to the church, uh, Jewish people, and he says, don't say, I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there and I will do this. He says, but instead pray, if God wills it, I will do this and that. And there is something beautifully humbling to acknowledge that I have a plan, I have something that I'm intending to do, but ultimately I want to submit to the will of God. Ultimately, I want what God wants. I think... Uh, I think it's a beautiful thing to pray. I do have a caution for us, friends, that oftentimes when we pray, we're like, well, Lord, if it's your will, do this and do that. And on one hand, I think it's beautifully humbling to acknowledge that God's will has supremacy over ours. However, there is something deeply troubling to me when we say that as a simple cop out to actually know what God wants. As if his will is all a mystery. And it's not. I think there's something troubling sometimes when we say, well, if it's the Lord's will, it'll happen. 
And we say it, honestly, our motive is to shield ourselves from experiencing disappointment. Because what if that prayer doesn't come true on this side of heaven? Friends, God does have a will. And he desired to give you a will too. And he gave you the opportunity to make choices. Why? Because he wanted to make you not a robot, but he wanted you to be crafted and shaped in a way that was similar to his own image and likeness so that you could be a reflection of him in the world around you. I believe God's will has been revealed to us in Scripture and through the life of Jesus. That's God's will. It's, been, it's ex- described right there and there. It exists in heaven through creation and the eventual recreation. John 4, Jesus said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. So if Jesus was being nourished, it's simply because he was doing what God wanted him to do. It was enacting the will of God. In Romans 12, we find that we renew our mind to see God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do we renew our mind? Joshua 1 and Psalms 1 tells us it comes renewing our minds, comes from meditating on God's word, his will, and testament, his Old Testament and his New Testament. The covenants that he's made in both new and old, it is an understanding that God created Sin disrupted and destroyed and has caused chaos and pain and agony. And Jesus showed up to redeem and begin to reset so that we as his followers who believe in him could experience a redemption and a restoring of our life so that our life isn't about perpetrating hell, but rather it's perpetrating the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go. So that everywhere we go, he goes, and ultimately it's a restoration and a recreation of what he intended and he willed in the beginning. Now, let me help us with something. We've kind of jumped into the deep end of the pool. Let me back up and help us grasp some of these concepts for a minute. Theologians and Bible scholars use different terms, and some put more weight on one side of this and others put more weight on the other side of this and I think the Bible holds both pretty clearly in my opinion. Something known as uh, what many people refer to as the permissive will of God, what God seems to allow in our world versus his perfect will which is what he desires and acts and ensures will happen. I I tend to believe that Pain, suffering, destruction, and loss are not necessarily God's eternal design, nor is he enforcing them to ensure that they happen. But it's more along the lines of it's his will to them to the extent to which they are part of the process that simply refine us and help us to repent. And him allowing us to experience sometimes the consequences of other people's sins or our own sins. And in the the minute details of it all, it's, it's really about us encountering his redemption. And in the grand story of it all, where his will will ultimately be seen, that you cannot stop his kingdom fully coming one day. There is no decision you can make today that would thwart the fact that God is coming again. And he will judge the living and the dead. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. You can't do any decision today to stop that. But you can make a decision of your will today to not pray, to not enact, and not follow his commands, and thus experiencing the reality of your own will. Friends, we have to hold both of these in understanding. Why? So that when we pray, God, your kingdom come, and your will, God, Let it be done on earth so that it looks like what you're experiencing in heaven. So that there would be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. God, would that come? Would there be forgiveness and healing and restoration of a relationship separated by sin, but united through Christ's blood? 
This is what we intercede for, friends. This is the beauty that God invites us to partner with him to see his will accomplished. Friends, when you pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are in that moment using and exposing and commanding in a sense, you are saying, God, my free will is now bowing to your will in prayer. God, I'm not praying for this outcome. I'm not praying for this thing. I'm not praying for this perspective. I'm not praying that my preference would occur here. God, I just want your kingdom to come. I want your goodness to be seen. I want, I want your holiness to be, to, to be encountered. God, I want people to come to you. That's what I want, Lord. What's close to your heart, God, that's what I want in this situation. God, I want your heart in this moment. I want your heart in this relationship. I want your heart in this nation. I want you to come, Lord, come. Blaise Pascal said it like this. God instituted prayer in order to lend his creatures the dignity of causality. Pastor, what does that mean? It means 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is correct. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their own wicked ways, seek my face. Not their outcomes, not their preferences, not their ideologies, but seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven and I will intervene and heal their lands. What are we hearing in 2 Chronicles? What did we hear Blaise Pascal say? Here's what he's saying. When things go wrong, if we intercede, God will intervene. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, for your kingdom come, your will, Lord, be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a petition to establish God's rule and reign now, not just in the age to come. It invites God to be close as we give access to the kingdom here and now so that everywhere we go, it's a pocket that's refreshing, that reveals heaven to the people stranded in islands of sin, death, their own hell. This is what intercession looks like. Friends, this week, real practical. When you get to the moment where we're praying the Lord's Prayer, and, and our challenge, this whole collection, is that you would pray the Lord's Prayer once a day. And this week, when you get to the part where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I want you in that moment to just pause and intercede for people in situations other than yourself. That the kingdom of God would be experienced by them in those moments. That's what we want to pray. That's what we want to see and do. This is the privilege that we have. See, because here's what I know. There are marriages of friends that you have who aren't experiencing the refreshment of heaven in their relationship. There are businesses that you know that are struggling, business owners stressed. We need to pray that heaven would invade that space. There are people who are sick and hurting and lonely and sorrowful and people afraid, trembling in fear. There's chaos, misinformation spreading. We need the kingdom of God to come. We need to see the antics of hell exposed and dispelled from our midst and see God's will established and coming and enacting in our community, in our schools, in our businesses, in our land. This is why we need to pray. This is what God is inviting us into in this moment. Jesus is the greatest intercessor of all. There's a story about a couple who discovered that their 14-year-old son, we'll say his name is Stephen, 
had lied and skipped school for three days. And the young boy uh, was coming up and his parents had found out because the teacher had called to inquire about how is this boy doing? Is everything okay? It's been three days. I haven't seen him at school. And he got caught. And his parents began to have a conversation with Stephen about the severity of his punishment, which was very unusual what they decided. And they had a conversation that went something like this. They said, Stephen, do you know how important it is that we're able to trust one another? Yes, he responded. How can we trust each other if we don't always tell the truth? That's why lying is such a terrible thing. Not only is it a sin, but it also destroys our ability to trust one another. It breaks down the relationship. Do you understand that? Yes, sir, he replied. Your mother and I must make you understand the seriousness, not of so much of skipping school, but of the lies that you told. Your discipline will be that for the next three days, one for each day of your sin, you must go to the attic and stay there by yourself. You will even eat and sleep there. So young Stephen headed off to the attic and the bed was prepared for him there. It was a long evening for Stephen and perhaps longer for mom and dad. Neither could eat, and for some reason, when dad tried to read the paper, words seemed foggy. Mom tried to sew, but couldn't see to thread the needle. Finally, it was bedtime. About midnight, as the father lay in bed thinking about how lonely and afraid Stephen must be, he finally spoke to his wife, are you awake? Yes, I can't sleep for I'm thinking about Stephen, she said. Neither can I, answered dad. An hour later, he queried again, are you asleep yet? No, answered mom. I just can't sleep for thinking about Stephen all alone in the attic. Me neither. Another hour passed. Now 2 a.m. Dad murmured, I can't stand it any longer. He climbed out of bed, grabbed a pillow and blanket. I'm going to the attic, he declared. He found Stephen, much as he expected, wide awake with tears in his eyes. Stephen, said his father, I can't take away the punishment for your lies because you must know the seriousness of what you have done. You must realize that sin, especially lying, has severe consequences. But your mother and I can't bear the thought of you being all alone here in the attic, so I'm going to share your punishment with you. Father lay down next to his son, and the two put their arms around each other's necks. Tears on the cheeks mingled as they shared the same pillow and the same punishment for three nights. This, friends, is intercession. This, friends, is what Jesus did for us. The cross was an act of intercession where justice of God mingled with the mercy of the Father. And we benefit today from the intercession Jesus made on that cross. Hebrews 7 tells us that we still benefit from that intercession because Jesus was unlike any other high priest, perfect, sinless. And he sits at the right hand of God in heaven, interceding, standing in the gap between you and the sins that you have committed and will commit and the Father who is perfect and holy and without blame. He stands at the right hand making intercession for you and for me. And this is why we eat bread and drink juice week after week to remind ourselves that we have an intercessor. His name is Jesus, standing and sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you and for me. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna to come to the Lord's table. If you're at home, I hope you've got some elements nearby. We wanna partake together in this moment. And would you hear in this minute, would you just think about Jesus for a minute? Think about his love. Think about his kingdom. Think about the cross, justice and mercy, God. This is what we're remembering, Lord.
that your body was broken and your blood was poured out as a sacrifice to absorb and take away the sins of humanity. Lord, we remember you. We honor you. We celebrate you. Lord, we receive your gift of forgiveness, of justice, and mercy that reconciles us right with God and restores our life with a new purpose. Let's take the bread. And now the juice. going to ask if you would, would you just stand where you're at, hold on to your cups, you'll be able to give those out as you go. Would you stand as we close in prayer today? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. This week, God, would your kingdom come to us. Would your will be done in us and through us this week. Lord, your kingdom, not ours. Your will, not ours. Like it is in heaven, may it be so on this earth. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.